0: Thanks, Brett. I want to tell you a story about a man named Saul. Saul was from Tarsus. Tarsus was a free city within the Roman Empire. If you lived there, you lived tax-free in a cultured and educated environment. I wonder if Wellingtonians have the same privilege. He was born a Roman citizen which in the first century was a pretty big deal because it included more rights and privileges than what the rest of the population received. Saul was well-educated, and he knew the Jewish scriptures inside and out. At some point, Paul moved from Tarsus to Jerusalem, where he had formal training in his faith, and he joined the Pharisees. As a Pharisee, Saul became intent on keeping the Jewish people pure for God through following rules. The Pharisees were so concerned with keeping the letter of the law that they would build a fence a mile out from the law. For example, if you were to scrape a chair or a stool, most likely a stool in those days, a stool across the dirt floor on the Sabbath, you were a sinner because you had just plowed the earth and you were not supposed to be working on the Sabbath. It was pretty strict, these rules. So when people started to get on this Christianity train, a... a belief that was tearing down these fences with grace Saul was outraged he was so outraged by these christians who were not keeping the law strictly enough for his beliefs that he went to the high priest and he got permission to make a two week walk from damascus or from jerusalem to damascus Two weeks. And he was going to round up these Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem. Persecution in the first century was a particularly horrific brand of evil. And the Christians were scared. They knew that Saul was coming for them. And it didn't matter who you were. Man woman, or child, if Saul decided you were on the wrong side of the fence, he was coming after you. Can you imagine what it would have been like for the Christians in Damascus, knowing that Saul was on his way for you? But then, just as Saul was about to enter Damascus, a bright light came down from the sky and blinded him. This light was so bright, it forced him to the ground. And he heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul replied, whoa, who are you, Lord? And the voice said, I am Jesus, Whom you are persecuting. Jesus then told him to get up and to go into the city and await further instruction. But when Saul got up and the light had disappeared, his darkness had not. He was blind. And he depended on the men that were traveling with him, who were a little more than freaked out by this voice with no body to get him to Damascus, just as the voice commanded. This moment changed Saul's life forever. In Damascus, he began to pray, and he refused to eat, and he refused to drink. And God heard Saul's prayers. Yes, God heard the prayers of a man who was persecuting him. God came to a believer named Ananias in a vision and he said, I want you to go see Saul. He's over on Straight Street. And it really does say that. God is very specific in his directions. At first, Ananias was feeling a little bit hesitant about this because he'd heard of Saul. But God said, go. He is the one I have chosen to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias went. And I'm just going to read directly from Acts 9 because Ananias' words are so beautiful and they testify to the work of the Holy Spirit in Paul's life. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and fill us with your fire that the scales might fall from our eyes to reveal where you want to work in us. May we leave this place changed forever from being in the fire of your presence and help us to be bold, in this endeavor, amen. In 2 Corinthians that Brett just read, we get an insight into Paul's processing of this disturbing, life-altering experience he had on the road to Damascus. And he captures the transforming work of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 3. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The covenant between God and the Israelites was given to Moses on tablets of stone. This was the law that Saul, also known as Paul. So if I go back before the, between the two, that's what I'm saying. But this is the law that Saul had spent so many years building fences around in an attempt to protect it through human work. But Jesus completed that covenant on the cross. Paul Paul spent around three years in Damascus learning of this new covenant that Jesus had brought. He talks of this covenant in 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. It is in these years that the Holy Spirit came and healed Saul of his need to build fences around the law and live within the letter of the law. The Holy Spirit drew Saul by the warmth of the revelation that it is not the works of human laws that will save and redeem, but it is Jesus. Jesus is the one whom we are given confidence before God. Our confidence comes from God. We are given life and healing through the Spirit. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 12. I boast only of my weaknesses so that God's power may be glorified. I grew up in Michigan. And Michigan in the winter is kind of cold. And um, you know how you have summer warnings where you get burned, like how long you can be out in the sun before you get burnt? We have... How long we have warnings on how long you can be outside before your lungs start to freeze? It's for real. (laughs) It is a true story. This is how cold Michigan is. And so um, you would go out, and it was only for about 15 minutes that you could actually be out. And this is after spending pretty much an hour getting all the winter gear on so that you could go enjoy the snow for 15 minutes. But the best part of coming back inside to warm up was when the fire was going. You would walk over to the fire, and the warmth would come out at you, and you'd put your hands out towards the fire to experience the warmth and the healing and the comfort that that fire brought back into your cold bones. The fire of the Holy Spirit draws us in that same way the fire draws us in from the cold. It it draws us in in the warmth of God's love, healing the scabs of hurt and hate and giving new life to hearts that may have been written on by stone. Are there scabs that have turned to calluses in your life? Are they in danger of turning your heart to stone? Are there some fences you may have put in place that are keeping you from experiencing the presence of God? Take a moment to draw near to the fire of the Holy Spirit. Maybe throw a log or two from a fence onto that fire. And just take a moment and let that healing warmth do its work and give you new life. The Holy Spirit had come upon Saul. It had healed him of his old thoughts and ways and was bringing him into a new way of life. The fire of the Spirit was beginning to refine and get rid of the impurities of Saul's old ways. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory. Brief though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious? How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now, in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? The old law in which Saul was living under and striving under was no longer needed because of Jesus and the cross. Saul no longer needed the fences. He had the Holy Spirit dwelling within him to show him where he needed to be purified, to be pummeled and heated in order to reflect Christ. Saul never lost his sense of what God had done for him in the forgiveness of his sins. In 1 Timothy 1, Saul, writing as Paul, said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength Paul had some pretty serious impurities that needed the refinement of the fire of the Holy Spirit. It was within the law that Paul studied that he was able to actually recognize the sin. In Romans 8, Paul talks about this dynamic. Of the ineffectiveness of the law and the new role of the indwelling of the Spirit for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who did not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Paul was aware that the Holy Spirit is what made his transformation possible. And even Glorious. Savior, I love that you showed the necklace that your grandmother gave you. Did you know that that precious metal actually did not come out shiny and cool like what it looked like? It doesn't come out of the ground, shiny and beautiful. Precious metals don't. In fact, they look very much like dirty old rocks. And it is a lengthy process for gold and precious metals to go through to become what we wear and what we see. It starts with blowing up of rock. It then requires the rock to be broken down into small pieces and then to be grounded into a fine dust. And then it requires the metals to be heated at a very high heat, more than once, to get rid of the impurities. And then finally, the metal shines. The process is finished once you can use the metal as a mirror. The process of the Holy Spirit refining us may often feel like we are being broken into tiny, small pieces, heated beyond what we can bear. This is probably my least favorite work of the Spirit. I like the Spirit as my healer, my comforter, my truth-teller, my gift-giver. But I don't enjoy the Spirit as my transformer. But if I look to Paul, I can see a picture of the persecutor becoming refined through his own persecution and suffering. In 2 Corinthians 9, Paul talks about a continuing physical affliction that could well be related to his three days of blindness. And this is what he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. The refining process may leave us feeling weak and insufficient for the task, but it is in the weakness that the Spirit is able to do the work of purifying for the glory of God. It is in the purification that we are then able to reflect Christ. Where are you noticing the purification process taking place? Where is the heat on? Maybe you've never seen weakness and heat and pressure like this. It's okay to admit weakness and to lean into the refining power of the Holy Spirit. Take a moment to lean into that refining fire and not be afraid to let the Spirit do its refining work. Come to the best part. At least I think it's the best part of 2 Corinthians 3. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this Day, the same veil remains when the Old Covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen to that, Paul. Well done. Well said. The old covenant in which God gave to Moses is fulfilled through Christ. And unlike Moses, who wore a veil to protect people from the glow of God's presence, Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to let that spirit shine out of them freely, unveiled so that everyone might have that same freedom in the spirit of the Lord. Paul had experienced the fire of the Spirit as healing and refining, and he wanted to make sure that the world knew it was only by the fire of the Spirit that he could know that healing and the refinement. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory any time we are spending time in God's presence through word, worship, or prayer, we are contemplating God's glory. And we do not walk away from God's presence unchanged. That glory cannot be contained, and it shines out upon a world of darkness. So I've shared with you a little bit about what Michigan winters are like, but I thought that I'd like to share a little bit about a Michigan summer tradition. Catching lightning bugs while camping on a summer evening was a tradition that kept many a Michigander child busy. They are pretty slow, so they're easy to catch and we would either hold them in our hand or we would stuff a whole bunch of them in jars poor creatures and use them as night lights because lightning bugs produce a chemical reaction inside their bodies that allows them to light up and you're going to see a picture of that this type of light production is called bioluminescence, and they light up for many reasons. The babies use their glow as warnings to predators that they taste nasty. (laughs) As adults, many lightning bugs have flash patterns that are unique to their species and use them to identify other members of their species as well as to communicate to possible mates. Apparently, the faster more intense male flashes are more attractive to the females. But that's not actually what I want you to take away from my story about lightning bugs. But it will be all you remember. But remember this, along with that other fact about lightning bugs. One lightning bug lights up to signal to another, and then another over here glows in reply, and so on, until you get an entire night sky filled with the light of tiny insects. Sarah Roher describes the power the fire of the Spirit has to attract other people like this. When you're ablaze in the Holy Spirit, people will be drawn to you. They will watch you burn in fascination, drawn to the flame. When the Holy Spirit has done the work of healing... And refining, we are transformed into the image of God, and that fire spreads. It draws other people, seeking the warmth and the refining for themselves. And we, no matter how small and insignificant, in the light of God's glory, walk around with unveiled faces, <laughs> spreading the freedom found in the Spirit. Like the lightning bugs, we fill the darkness around us as light. And through the power of the Spirit, we are able to do as Jesus commanded in Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Go on, little lightning bugs. (laughs) Let your light shine. As you walk through this week, will you take these questions with you? What is my transformation story? Where have I had the fire of the Holy Spirit heal and refine my life? When? was the last time I walked with my face unveiled? Are there still areas in my life that I need the fire of the Holy Spirit to heal and refine? Is the fire of the Holy Spirit lighting the darkness around me? And When you are ready, come and light a candle as a reminder of the transforming power the fire of the Spirit has. (coughs) Maybe you want to light a candle as a commitment to receiving the transformation power. Lighting a candle for you may be a reminder of what spending time in God's presence does for one's countenance. And may you shine this week.